And today, as you will see in just a moment, we'll jump back into our series on the household, continuing to put the spotlight on the wives. Why? Because the, the Bible talks about wives, and it actually starts the household with wives. Peter does, Paul does, and it seems like every time the household is brought up, wives are addressed first. So that's why we started there. So uh, as I've said before, husbands, we will have our day. Bond servants, masters, uh, all the above, children, we will have our day. It is coming for us. But this week we find ourselves once again on the subject of wives in the household. And last time we looked at what submission to husbands means And this time we'll look at some of the practical implications of how submission is worked out, not just privately, but publicly. You all know it's one thing to settle particular matters of submission uh, behind closed doors, but it's quite another to carry a persona of submission everywhere you go. You know, being a submissive woman out in public. And that's what we're going to try to cultivate as we look at our text today. That is fashioning ourselves with submission. We might say clothing ourselves with submission, not just conceding the biblical command on paper, but also seeing that it's a good thing, not just saying, yes, we believe it, but as kind of Greg was saying just a moment ago, putting into practice what we believe and also seeing the rewards from taking God's word seriously. So we find ourselves, as I said, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Church, these are the words of God. As such, let's give attention to them this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Word of God for his people. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today that you have handed to us, that you've inspired to us through the giving of your Holy Spirit as he breathes upon us, I pray that we would take in fully what you're speaking to us. I pray that we would sit as your children, looking to you, our Father, hearing these words of instruction from you. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we might see what you are applying to our hearts today. Help us to see the heart of the matter here and be able to um, allow you to speak to us inside, not just outside. So Lord, we open ourselves to you this morning. We sit humbly at your feet and we pray, Father, that everything that I say would be honoring to you. I pray that if there's anything that is out of line, Lord, I pray that it'd go in one ear and right out the other. Lord, we really do want you to speak today, that we might take seriously your word, apply it, and find joy uh, by submitting to you and what you tell us. Father, we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we already talked last time about what submission really is. 
We said that it's following a directive, not just because a person is qualified. You know, we talked about competency. It's not just about uh, someone being competent in what they do, not just being experienced or an ex- uh, expert at it. It's not just uh, someone being qualified that um, allows us to have submission, but because they are the rightful authority is why we submit. That's what submission is really about. There's a way of even saluting the rank rather than the person, right? We understand this when it comes to the military where we can say, I might not even like this guy, but I know that he's been put in authority over me. And because of that, I'm going to submit to him. And there's a sense in which there's going to be times as wives where we are called to, or where you are called to do that. I won't ever be doing that because I'm not a wife, but there's going to be times when you're going to have to do that, where you're able to, in a way, see through the husband and recognize that God has put an authority there over you and you are called to submit in those moments. So, Of course, it's a beautiful thing when the character of the person in authority over you is honorable. When you see it and you're like, that's a a man worth following. But that's not the qualifier for submission. You don't just follow the people that you think, that guy's awesome. You follow the people and you submit to the people that God calls you to. That's the seriousness that comes with submission as it relates to the household. That's the hard part of it that we really talked about last week. And as this text makes it clear, there will be husbands... Who do not obey the word and the biblical command reminds uh, the same and even gives the reasoning that their submission might lead to the salvation of the husband. Okay, So there's going to be times where you are called as a wife to submit to your husbands and your submission even to a guy that you don't want to submit to that isn't obeying the word will be the thing that sanctifies him. Will be the thing that brings him closer to God. Okay, that's what we talked about in our last uh, uh, sermon on wives. But this week we're going to keep reading and pick up on verse three. The the, the the things that I've been talking about really have been verse one and two, and we've covered that. But I want to move on now and come to verse three that says this: Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Okay, so that's the command. Do not let your adorning be external. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it kind of clarifies a little bit. It gives us an example of the command. The braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. That's what the text says. Okay? Now, before I say anything else, I want to say this. We have a really bad habit of reading the Bible, looking at it, and saying uh, that it says something other than what it says. Where we say, it says this, uh, but it doesn't really mean that. And that, that bothers me. As a pastor, as we come to God's word, I want us to take the word of God seriously to where we look at it. And we're not always saying, well, I know it says that, but it doesn't mean that. Okay, that, That's a pet peeve of mine. But with that said, let me say this. Let me tell you why this does not mean what it might sound like it means. Okay, It sounds like a total prohibition of external adornment. It sounds like the, the list there that it's giving says you absolutely can't do that. But, okay, let's try to apply that and see if it holds up. Do a little exercise with me, okay? If we read this as an absolute prohibition of the things listed here, then hypothetically we can amend any external adorning that might be here on the spot. Right? We could fix the problems that we might have here today. I would start with the hair. I'd look around the room and all the people that have braided hair. I'd say all the wives that currently have braids, you should untie those satanic knots and get rid of them. Okay? <laughs> Let your hair down. That's where we'll start. Next, we would come to the jewelry. We'd look around and see all, all the gold jewelry. Okay? Does anyone have any gold jewelry here? All the gold jewelry should be promptly removed. Wedding rings are not excluded. 
Okay? Remove your wedding rings. If they're silver, they're good. It doesn't say anything about silver. You can wear silver. Rose gold, I'm not sure about. It doesn't say anything there. But gold, for sure. Remove that. Okay? And now that we're well on our way to biblical submission, I would need all the wives to continue with the text, taking it seriously, and just remove all the external clothing that you're wearing. Please stop. Okay? 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 See, what I'm trying to make a point here is that there are some limits uh, to what we are reading here. It's not an absolute prohibition. We, we should not read this in an absolutely literal way that we were, where we're just taking the literal word and saying, well, this is what it says. Okay, If you do that, then it doesn't make much sense, really. Okay, And people do that sometimes with Scripture. Uh, but, but I wanted to make sure that we are taking this in its context, realizing the full meaning of what it's saying here. So besides the absurdity of not wearing any clothes... If you look at the example of the Old Testament, jewelry and quality clothing even were clearly worn. Right? You look at the look at the Bible and you'll see that the context of scripture shows holy women wearing clothing and wearing jewelry. Isaac in the Old Testament actually gives Rebecca a not finger ring but a nose ring when he comes to her to give a type of proposal in verse or in chapter uh, 24 of Genesis. Okay. Interesting enough, a lot of people have big problems with nose rings. Actually, that was the engagement ring of the Old Testament. Nose rings. Golden nose rings. Okay. Ezekiel 16. God himself, prophetically, through the prophet Ezekiel, speaks about Israel as his wife. Okay. Remember the command here that we're looking at in our context today is wives. Okay. So when God thinks of his wife, when he thinks of his bride Israel, listen to what he says. When he speaks to his wife, he says, I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you, even the language of our text today, I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Okay. So perhaps we need to keep reading to understand how wives can obey this command. Okay, We can't just take it at its bare, literal, uh, prohibitive sense and say nothing of that sort. We have to keep reading. So let's look at the text. Let's keep reading. Look at uh, verse 4 and see what it says. Okay, Then we see a but. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's precious in God's sight. So what this is calling out here, as it starts to, to look further, is it's, it's really pointing us past the externals to the internal. It's going past just what we're wearing, past the things that are on, on the outside of us, trying to get to something deeper. It's trying to get to the internal matter here. Okay? And what this is calling out is attention-grabbing external adorning. Okay? We are... Showing yourself on your outside that you're not secure on your inside. Okay, This is a, a revealing that you're groping and trying to grab for more. And really, what the context here is showing, it's showing a, a kind of woman that is showing that they need something from other people. The, the context of the, the gold jewelry and the braided hair, this isn't just a country girl with her braided hair back behind her back so that she's not getting her hair down while she's working. This is ornate 
braiding, okay? Real fancy stuff. Think of that kind of thing. It's not just a basic braid. This is something that is really done up, that is drawing lots of attention to yourself. The, the gold jewelry that she's wearing is not just one small little piece. It's probably lots of gold jewelry. I mean, you've seen the Eastern pictures of some of these women, but the clothing that they wear is just crazy. It's super flashy. It's got all kinds of uh, jewelry and stuff hanging all over it, and it's, it's drawing all attention back to them. And what this is getting at is the kind of woman that is putting that out there is giving a message. Okay? Our clothing just does. It shows our outside uh, what is going on on the inside. It speaks something about us. Anytime we wear, anytime we have something on the outside, it in some way, maybe it's even small, is pointing to our inside and showing something of you. So what this is actually getting at here, and it's calling out, is a way of putting on your outside a message that in some sense says, I'm available. Okay, I'm available. Now, the scope of that could be anywhere, but it's saying at its root, I am available. You would think a wedding ring would be enough to do this, but we have created a culture that has a fashion that now supersedes the meaning even of a wedding ring. Okay? We are able to speak louder with our clothes than even this wedding ring can do. And I've seen wives do this. And you all know of the wives. You can probably think of someone. Don't say their names, please. You all know of the wives that despite the rock that they have on their finger, their attire says, never mind that. You know what I'm saying? There, there are people out there that dress like that. That is what this text is getting at. That insecurity that is showing something on the outside that is lacking on the inside, where she is saying, I'm not so concerned, or I'm not getting uh, maybe what I want at home, so maybe I can get something out there. I'll put myself out there a little bit. Now, the argument after this, when a person like me, a man, starts to speak about women and what women are clothed in, um, someone out there will probably say, well, that isn't my problem, that guys are pigs. And that they're just lusting after my body. I should be able to dress like I want. It's my body, my choice. Lots of different applications for that. My body, my choice. I'll do what I want. I'm a a woman and I can do what I want. It is my body, my choice. Here is the problem to the wife who says that. It's actually not your body. It's not your body, biblically speaking. If we want to be biblical women talking about what wives really believe and what the Bible says... 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay? Now, the context here is of conjugal rights. Okay? You can't withhold yourself from your husband. Your husband can't withhold himself to you. So it's talking about that. But isn't that what we're talking about here? Wives who say with their clothing, I am available okay in some sense okay and even if you don't mean that you're physically available i don't think anyone here in this room would come even close to that but here's where it starts to get a little closer to home maybe it's not just physical maybe you're simply seeking attention and at the very least you are giving the external message that you are available for mental toying with where you would say well i wouldn't actually ever do anything uh, uh, to cheat on my husband or anything but you might Give your image out there to where someone else could have it a little bit. Does that make sense? The bottom line is that with that kind of dress, you're saying that you don't belong fully to your husband. There's a part that you're kind of leaving open to other people. You're sharing, even if it's just the minute little bit, 
with someone else where they can look at that and go with it where they want. And you say, well, that's not my responsibility. I didn't, I didn't do that with their mind. They went there. That's leaving a little bit of you open for them. And what Peter is pointing out is that that is not submission. Okay? This is where we can – it's really easy for us to say, well, yeah, I believe in submission, and you kind of just keep it in your back pocket, and you don't ever really exemplify it. You don't live it out. And this is where Peter's saying, okay, this is a matter of the heart. But as with things with the, the heart, they have a way of making their way out. Right? This is kind of the way that Jesus talks about things. What comes out of our mouth is often what defiles us. Okay? It comes from somewhere. It's coming from the inside. And what Peter is saying is that that kind of dress, that kind of external show of what is going on on the inside is not pleasing to your God wives. It's not pleasing. Verse 5 makes it clear that the point is, is that wives should publicly display submission, not just keep it as a private doctrine in your back pocket. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. When, when we wear rings, uh, we're showing to some people that, hey, I belong to another. Right? You're saying that I belong to my husband. My husband belongs to me. And there should even be a way in which we would dress in which that says the same. Where we are together. I belong to someone and my heart is for him. That's what the wives need to be saying. The heart of the command is to wrestle with the soul and find if submission can still be found in all its various avenues. Can you still say I'm a submissive wife even when it comes to your clothing? Okay. Taking this seriously is asking yourself if your attire is the one thing that you feel you have complete control over. Though the one thing that you feel empowered to do whatever you want with, taking that thought and then God's word would then exhort you to take that thought captive and ask yourself if that sounds gentle and quiet. Okay, Where you have that thing where you're like, well, at least I can do this. Peter would exhort you. Wives, take this to your heart and say – but is that the mentality that you need to have, the gentle and quiet spirit? Or is that maybe um, obnoxious and loud? Okay, Because that's the way that that dress usually comes out. It's obnoxious and loud. It's not gentle and quiet. So we need to think about this as we're working out what is going on on the inside. Ladies, a, a real practical application and a really simple way to apply this is if you ask yourself when you're standing in the mirror, when you look at yourself, and I know you all do this before you leave, even I do this. Everyone pretty much checks themselves as they, they leave for the day. When you look at yourself, look yourself in the eye and ask yourself, is this gentle and quiet? Am I gentle and quiet? Am I secure in who I am as a wife, as a woman of God, as a child of God? Am I secure enough to say, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not groping for anything out there. As I go out, I'm, I don't need anything. I am safe. I'm secure in my marriage. I'm secure in my personhood. Can you say that when you walk out the door? If you can't say that, you probably need to change. That's, that's a, a practical way to do that. If you're popping out at the top and wondering if when you bend over, if someone's going to get a show, you know the answer to that. Right? right? That's the obvious one. So, but, but the rubric should not be, can I get away with this without any comments about it? I went to Dairy Days yesterday, and I think that that was the rubric. And maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe there were, were no rubrics, and people just walk out the door, and they have no, uh, no thought process that kind of goes around their mind of should I wear this or should I not. It, it's absurd, the things that you see people wearing today. It really is. It, it, but, but that shouldn't be the way that we think about this. Can I get away with it? It should be, does my outside match my inside? And is my inside gentle and quiet? If you can say that, then absolutely. 
Where? If, if you know who you are and you're secure in who you are enough and as a child of God and as a wife, wear that by all means. Okay? And the refreshing thing about this is uh, that might surprise you is it's not some legalistic uniform code on dress for wives. Right? You don't see this list of, okay, here's what you can wear. These five things, don't go outside these five things. That's not what it's saying at all. The point is checking your heart for submission through modesty. Because okay, that's the way it works out, through modesty. It's not a list of forbidden items. Yes, I know it mentions a couple of those, but, but I would even give you an example. and say you could do all that and still be modest. I'll be the first to say that you can wear nice clothes, even classy jewelry and braided hair. You can do all that and be within the bounds of biblical submission for wives. But realize that everything you adorn yourself with externally is a reflection of the inner person. Okay? You're showing your inside when you dress, and people realize that. Okay? We don't often think that deep. We're often way more shallow than that. But if you stop and look at a person, you see it. You can see that what they are wearing is pointing something back to what is going on in the inside. So, so when you're asking yourself what you can wear, there's lots of things you can wear. Uh, ask yourself, does that dress cover your, cover your body in such a way that shows that you are hiding uh, beauty on the inside and outside for your husband? If it does, then wear it, right? There's a sense in which people should even see that you're kind of hiding something back, that you're not giving it all out there for everyone to see all the time. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gem that you are holding to yourself for a particular person, okay? Does that jewelry draw attention to the fact that you're married? Wear it. Let, let people see it so that they can have that conversation that starts. Yes, my husband bought this when we were on our anniversary or whatever. That kind of thing is actually a good thing. It helps your marriage. It helps your heart. Okay, And let me tell you something, wives. Not only does this please your God, this pleases your husband. It does. This will make your husband happy. He's going to love you all the more uh, when you start to do this kind of thing where he sees that you're, you're happy in who he is. Or he doesn't feel insecure too because there's a way if your insecurity can breed his insecurity and you can just bounce back and forth off each other where you're both at the root – insecure people. You don't feel safe. You're scared all the time of what the other's going to do. This is a way where you wives can take this really practically and say, no, I love my husband. I'm secure in who he is, and I'm secure, most importantly, in who I am as a woman of God. Nowhere in scripture are you told to wear a feed sack and make yourself unattractive. That's, that's not what the Bible says. The men should still be attracted to you, right? There, there is a reality. Men should still be attracted to you, but in a natural way that all people are attracted to beauty, okay? It should be the case that people see that you are beautiful, right? It's not that you're hiding all beauty. It's that you're hiding your most private parts, okay? That's how beauty works, okay? Beauty actually draws attention to the higher forms of beauty and eventually takes us all the way up into God, Okay? That's what beauty does. It, it always points upwards towards something even more beautiful in which we find our uh, final fulfillment up in God. So that's what we should be kind of thinking when you, when you dress. Should your, beaut- or your beauty should be in such a way that you're actually drawing people to where they see what you're doing, the way that Scripture talks about it, see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven in all that you do. That applies every external thing you do, not just what you dress, but especially how you dress, okay? And that's why Peter says that even disobedient husbands can be won over without a word by your pure and respectful conduct, okay? If that isn't making sense to you yet, I hope it's starting to become more clear that through the things that you do on the outside, maybe it's your dress, maybe it's your actions and your words or maybe even lack of words that you're saying to your husband, there's a way in which that beautiful conduct actually will win a person's soul over. 
They're going to be drawn closer to God through that kind of conduct that God sees and looks at and says, that's precious. That, that is how you should be acting. God has made beauty so that it is captivating. It is transformative. And you wives are called to use that beauty for good. Okay, That beauty that God has entrusted to you, you are beautiful wives. And God says, here you are. You're beautiful. I've made you in such a way. Steward that well. Do with that in a, in a way that pleases me and pleases your husband, and I will bless you for that. As a personal example of, of beauty worked out as submission, Peter draws us in our text in verse 6 to Sarah. If you would look with me at verse 6. Well, verse 5 and 6. It says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay. So this text commends to us Sarah as a holy woman who calls her husband Lord and obeys him. You don't see that much in culture these days. Right? When people are getting married, they throw out all those submission vows. They throw out all the obedience stuff. They get rid of all that. And Peter says, no, no, no. We shouldn't have got rid of that. This is how the holy women used to adorn themselves. This is what beauty used to look like. This is what faithful uh, wives used to look like. We need to get back to something. Peter's saying that in his day. Goodness more. All the more that we need to get to it in our day. Where we're saying, okay, we've really, really moved the bar way down the road. We need to get back to something here. We need to get back to a more biblical way of doing this. We need to look at the holy women that God commended to us through Scripture and see something from them that they were doing right. So in light of Sarah's holiness, the exhortation is to do good and not to fear anything that is frightening. Now let me ask you something, wives. What might you fear that would be frightening? Submission, right? Submission. Let's be honest. That is one of the things that you wives are going to be tempted to be fearful about because it is a scary thing in trusting yourself to another person, isn't it? Right? This, this is a vulnerable state for you to be in. I recognize that. It's not, I mean, we've got to remember, we're going to get to the, the, the bond servants and masters too. There's a way in which all people are called to submit, and that's hard. It's hard. It's not just wives. So I recognize that submission is hard. Okay? It can be scary at times. Submission isn't usually tested, though, if you think about this. It's not usually tested when you're picking what restaurant you want to eat at. Right? For some reason, when we start talking about submission, a lot of people are just like, well, it's just about who's going to get the last word in the argument. And you start thinking about, well, should we have Taco Bell or should we have McDonald's? Uh, the husband says Taco Bell, so we'll go to Taco Bell. No, that, that's not where submission is really tested at. That, that's not where it's really rubber meets the road, real submission. Okay, It's tested in whether or not you are going to trust your husband on the really big decision that he's making on behalf of the family, and you're not quite seeing it the way that he is. Where he says, family, I've prayed about this, thought about this, I think we need to do this. And the wife says, I'm not quite seeing it yet. She's brought her counsel to him, and you should, wives, you should share that with your husband. What you think that your, uh, your hesitations are, absolutely share that. But at the end of the day, submission is in that moment where he says, I still think we should go this way. And you're saying, I don't quite see the vision yet. But what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to submit. This is where it's hard. This is where it's tested. And this is what Sarah feared. Okay? This, is, this is literally the context that we're dealing with here. When we're talking about Sarah and the hard things that she was called to. The, the fear was that the outcome of following her, her husband might be something dangerous to her. Okay? 
The case here is pointing to Genesis 18 when Sarah finds out that she's going to have a child in her old age. And in her laugh of disbelief, she actually indirectly refers to her husband as Lord. So almost jokingly, she, she says uh, uh, that she's going to have pleasure in her old age. Right? You, you can remember the scripture where she's like, really? Really? But she, she indirectly refers to Abraham as Lord. And it's kind of a hat tip to Abraham as being her husband. And okay, if that's where we're going to go kind of thing. That's what the context is actually talking about here. So the fear that comes over wives is that the husbands might lead them into dangerous positions through submission. Okay? Wives, you get scared sometimes because your husband might lead you into a place that you don't feel very safe in. And that's literally the context here in more, more ways than one. Okay? Think about Sarah's life. Think about all the things that Abraham drug her around doing. Okay? Consider also that this wasn't the first time Abraham had put Sarah in a frightening position. Okay? You know the story. During their move, Abraham drug her wife all around the different countries. And as the, they were going through the countries, there were different kings in those provinces. And Abraham was telling them that Sarah was who? Sister. sister. What in the world? He was telling them that he was her sister, or she was his sister, so that he wouldn't get his head lopped off, right? So that they wouldn't come after him, right? So you can imagine the kind of conversations that might be going on between Abraham and Sarah. Like, Sarah's like, okay, I get the part where, like, you don't want to get killed and stuff. I understand your fear there. I understand how you might be hesitant to tell them that I'm your wife, and I understand how that works out well for you. <laughs> what about me? Right? What about the hard thing where I'm actually going to have the conversation with the king? What about that? Okay, Think about that. That's an extremely hard situation. So you know the story. Uh, they wanted to have Sarah as their wives because Abraham didn't speak up for his wife. Okay, And I'm not, I'm not condoning Abraham here. I'm not saying that that was the right move at all. I think he actually should have stepped up. Okay, But the fact of the matter is Sarah still submitted to her husband in that moment. Okay? Every time that we're out in new places, I have a bad habit of forgetting to introduce my wife to people. Uh, but I always tell myself afterwards when I do forget to introduce her that at least I didn't introduce her as my sister and let the guy take her home. That, that's my takeaway from this text is I'm not as bad as Abraham. Okay? There, there's a way of husbands leading their wives in, in scenarios where it's like, goodness, that, that's extremely hard on the wife. And again, I'm not condoning any of that. There's times that I failed as a husband. Uh, there's absolutely times when Abraham failed as a husband. But ask yourselves, wives, what happened to Sarah in both of these contexts? What happened to Sarah? The Lord, that is capital L-O-R-D, not referring to Abraham now. The Lord, God, took care of Sarah. He honored Sarah. Yes, Sarah might have wavered in her faith a bit as she laughed at God at the news of being pregnant in her old age. But God found her internal adorning precious in his sight. He said, that's a woman of God. I will honor that. I will care for that woman. I will take care of that woman wherever this husband leads her. Goodness sake, Abraham. I'm going to take care of your wife, even if you are not taking care of your wife. Husbands, we're going to get to ourselves when we come later in the text. But... The, the reality is, is that God takes care of your wives, even if your husband isn't taking care of you. But that doesn't give you an excuse when your husband is not doing what he should be doing to say, well, you're not qualified now. I'm not going to submit. No, it, God's calling to you is continue to submit, and God will take care of you. Think about Sarah, an old lady having a baby. 
That, that's terrifying. Bree and I, we're, we're in our 30s, and we're thinking, wow, this is going to be hard, delivering this baby. Think of Sarah delivering that baby in a, in a world, in a context where there is no medical help. You're not going to get a C-section if things go south. You're, you're not going to get an epidural. There's no pain meds. You're just going to deliver this baby. She laughed, but God brought her through that. That was the reality and the extent of the submission that God was calling her to and calls you to lives. It's hard. It's frightening. And that's why Peter says, don't be scared of anything that's frightening. I know it is frightening, but don't fear the frightening thing. She made it through some very sketchy scenarios, no thanks to her husband, but God took care of her. He did. He took care of her. And not only that, but she became fruitful and blessed. Okay? If it were not for Sarah, catch this church. If it were not for Sarah, we would not have the Savior of the world. Think of the person that was the, on the other end of that promise given to Abraham. That was Jesus. So there's a sense in which through, Abra, or through Sarah's submission to her husband and to her God, the world is saved. That, that's what we need to think of. When we're starting to get the, the big picture of submission, don't think about all the little trifles that you have with your husband. Don't think about what you're arguing over that's not that big of a deal. I want you to see the big picture of how God actually blesses submission for wives and how seriously that we should take this. And what the fulfillment that comes uh, with that, of being faithful at your post. Okay? You don't know the implication of, uh, of your submission in the moment, but the, the implications could be monumentous. Okay? There's, there's, there's so many things that could flow out from that that would be way bigger than you expected, but a huge blessing to not just you, but to the people around you and maybe even to the world. Cosmic blessing through submission. Sarah's submission was literally the conduit for salvation for the world. Salvation came through Sarah's submission. And this is the same hope that all of you wives had as you submit to your husband. This is how you should apply it to you. I can't promise you that your husbands won't lead you into some very frightening situations. They probably will. I, as a husband, I know that I have, and I know that you as husbands out there, you're going to fail your wives at times, and that's just the reality of it. But when you're in that moment, wives, trust God even more than you trust your husband, and he will honor that. Okay? I can encourage you that in the face of such trials, God will honor a wife who has adorned herself with a gentle and quiet spirit. He takes that seriously. It's precious in his sight. He looks at it and he says, that's my girl. That, that is, that is the, the one I made. I see the beauty there. I see how awesome she is in the way that I've made her. And she's actually now functioning in the ways and in the, the, the rhythms that I have created in the world. She's doing it like she should be doing. There's blessing that comes with that. And he will give her the fruit of her hands and cause her, even the enemies, to praise her in the gates. They're going to see that. They're going to say, that's a woman of God. That's what I'm calling you to, wives. It's, it's an honorable calling. It really is. I know it can, we can joke about submission a lot of times, and it usually becomes the butt of joke, uh, jokes in church circles. But the reality is, this is something to take seriously, but also to see how it really impacts your faith with God. And there's fruits that come with that. There's blessing that comes with that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today asking for help. Father, I'm not a wife, but I have a wife, and I know that it can be difficult sometimes to submit to a man that's a sinner. Lord, I pray that you would encourage all the wives here this morning to realize and recognize that you know best, that you know what you're doing, you know what you are doing uh, when you um, 
make the bond between them. When you marry them to a husband that it's a sinner, I pray that they would recognize that they've done just that. They've married a sinner. But I pray, Lord, that you would also help them to recognize that they are sinners too. That we are all in need of your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that in light of our sin, in light of our shortcomings, you call us to a higher calling through your son, Jesus. And then when we, when we do that, you bless us. You care for us. You provide for us. You take care of the things that we need in our life, and, and you care for us. Lord, I pray for the wives this morning that you would help them through the power of your Holy Spirit to apply this to their, to their lives. I pray that you would cast a gentle and quiet spirit upon every one of the, the wives here, that they would be able to take this home and be able to be precious in your sight, to please you and also please their husbands, that we might have households that are lights unto the world, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we